A Country of My Own from Thad Cockrell's 2009 album, To Be Loved. Great song. It was really cool to hear Jeff Rogers from Go Ministries, uh, our guest for this episode, bring that together and really kind of relate it into his missional experience and what he actually does with Go Seminaries down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Jeff's home right now, so we were able to catch up with him and really talk with him a little bit and find out what it's like to be in a country that's not your own, but know that God's kingdom's here on earth and we're all a part of that and bring that to light for those people. Buckle up, stay tuned, we're ready to rock. Welcome to the Song and Verse Podcast, a discovery of God's Word, one song and a few verses at a time. Here's your host, Rockin' Odd Todd. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Song and Verse Podcast, a discovery of God's Word through Song and Verse. I am your host, Rocking Odd Todd, and we're so happy you've decided to be with us today. You know, I've always been impressed by somebody that's willing to give up their life, go to another country, go to another landscape, and spread God's word there, and work on a missional platform to spread his faith, hope, and love in a completely different area, you know, kind of be a stranger in a strange land, so to speak. Today we got to talk with Jeff Rogers from Go Ministries, and he is the director of the Go Seminary down in the Dominican Republic. And it was awesome to be able to see him not only talk about his faith and talk about his walk and talk about what they're doing down there in the Dominican Republic, but also tie a song like Thad Cockrell's A Country of My Own into his missional platform. And so it was really cool to be able to use that because that's exactly what we're about here at Song and Verse is knowing that songs are a part of us. They're an expression. And to be able to apply that to your walk and to really know that this one song spells out exactly everything that I'm going through, that's kind of neat. And that's really kind of cool. And so we're going to talk to Jeff about that. Jeff's a good buddy of mine. Uh, we were friends and sat at lunch together quite a bit during our senior year in high school. And so it was great to catch up with Jeff. Hadn't seen or talked to him since our graduation. And it's always cool to see what brothers in Christ are doing now in their life, even so many years later. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And with that, we have Jeff Rogers today, director of Go Seminaries down in the Dominican Republic. He's worked down there for about eight years now. And so me and Jeff go way back, high school, middle school, and it's just great to have Jeff and see his face again. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. It, it is uh, great to be with you and see your face. I'm excited about this opportunity. Um, yeah. so, so some clarification about the organization that I work with. And sure. Actually, my wife and I have worked with them for 18 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so for the last, except for the last seven of that, where we've been living in the Dominican Republic in Santiago, second largest city, um, we have traveled back and forth consistently every year, spending anywhere from two to four to six months at a time throughout the year there. Um, we actually made the move there in January of 05, and that's when we ended up finding out we were pregnant with twins. Wow. And, uh, but they ended up coming super early. So we got back to the United States for that. And um, Now is Go Ministries, is that a, a United States-based ministry or where is uh, that? The, the, the main office is in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Um, but uh, we um, are, are, we're mainly established in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and when I work, say I work with the Go Seminary, it's also in partnership. It's under the umbrella of our church planting movement. And uh, we're actively working to plant a thousand churches over the course of 10 years. Awesome. And uh, we have gone from 18 churches to about 86 in the last three years. Awesome. And um, we are growing into um, Mexico, Puerto Rico, um, We've got some contacts in Argentina, and uh, we're actually going to start uh, planting some churches in the United States here probably in the next 12 to 18 months. So, so when, when, when you plant a church, let's say you go from 18 to 25, 30, does it get easier as you go, and does, the, does it help, or does it stay about the same each time you, you start with one? Uh, well, what we've been doing in the seminary for the last seven years is setting the groundwork kind of theologically and practically. Uh, for having healthier expressions of the church. What we found in the Dominican Republic 
is that uh, we've got a lot of churches that they gather to worship Jesus, but the Jesus that they gather to worship would actually not be welcome to worship in those churches because mm-hmm. of how he does ministry. Right. <laughs> um, so at the, at the very worst, he wouldn't be welcome or would get kicked out. At the very best, he'd get church discipline from uh, the leader of the church. Uh, we have um, the churches traditionally have just been led by one pastor. There's no team leadership. There's no eldership. Uh, it's just a really anemic expression of the church. And so our role at the seminary has been to help bring leaders through an understanding, a, a deeper understanding of the gospel, uh, how to, not just to believe it, but how to practice it, and how to engage their communities with the compassion and love of Jesus, which is mm. leads with its mercy and truth, its compassion and accountability. Yep. Uh, but it always leads with the mercy, and it always leads with the compassion because that's the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, and so just who we're called to be. So yeah, and it's just teaching people how to contextually and locally um, love their people well. Mm-hmm. And um, and like you said uh, earlier with your mascot. That, uh, yeah, what's his name? This is Pat. Pat, Pat, Pat has not <laughs> properly been introduced yet, but oh, he will be. So, <laughs> but uh, but it's meeting people where they are. Uh, it's meeting people in the taboo places mm-hmm. uh, where Christians don't belong. Right, because those are the dark places. Those are the dens of sin. As if as if we don't live in that already. Right, because it's that's operating out of a false sense of holiness. You know, which is where you see the hang up with uh, secular music. So when you become a Christian in a Dominican or Haitian context, you can't listen to secular music anymore. You can only listen to worship songs because that's what good Christians do. And the thing is, is when they're doing ministry, what they're doing is it's a ministry of extraction where you take people out of whatever culture or context they're emerged in mm-hmm. instead of equip, meeting them in that context and then equipping them. Uh, to be salt and light in that environment. Right. And um, so instead of uh, asking people to abandon their stories, uh, we, we ask, we try to lead people through the redemption of their stories. And what does it look like then to step into that in faith, uh, demonstrating the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So now it's beautiful. That, that makes perfect sense. I've talked about this numerous times that if you don't have the history and story of Paul than who Paul became is, I don't want to say less important, but it's, it's not the same story, you know? And so you've got numerous people walking, you know, and the ways that they did walk versus where they walk now. And the transformation of that is a vital part of it. And if you leave out, if you just cut everything off and forget about everything, then, uh, you know, you can't quite relate to the next person down the line that needs to hear that same scenario. Um, so, and, you know, we talked a little bit about Thad Cockerell um, and the song, A Country of My Own, which I definitely want to hear from you about. And I actually want to hear about Thad altogether. How did you even come to know, you know, about his music? Is he a senior songwriter out of Nashville? Is that correct? I actually don't know that much about him okay than, uh, i know uh the album that that song is uh to on, be loved to be loved uh it was recommended by a really good friend of mine named joel gertis um who um he's a he's a singer songwriter uh he does worship stuff but we, we used to be in a band together in high school um i can't play an instrument i was i was the lead singer which was kind of a joke uh, but we, uh, we, we did a couple of shows where we just did like two songs, but it never got off the ground. But, uh, anyway, but he's a huge music fan and, uh, and an artist, wonderful artist. And, uh, he turned me on to that and he said, you need to listen to this. And, um, and I just love that whole album, but, uh, the song, the country of my own country of my own, this resonates with me on a personal level. It resonates with me on a theological level, whether it's what that meant or not. It's, it's what it means to me, and it's kind of become almost like a personal anthem for me. He's a follower of Jesus in a singer-songwriter kind of public secular context. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this album in particular, he really kind of pushed some of those limits. And yeah. didn't know what some of his fans would think, but it was also kind of like, I don't care. Yeah. Let's get into that. And, um, 
anyway, so I just, I, you know, my musical likings, like, you know, from the Grateful Dead to the Doors to Audio Slave, Rage Against the Machine. Right. Uh, so from all the like solid rocking stuff down to uh, American folk music, Americana, Wilco, Sunvolt, Uncle Tupelo, those guys. And so, um, so just the sound too, he's, he's, he's got this unique sound that's just kind of like in between some genres that um, I really enjoy. And um, so, yeah, I, that, but that's how I was introduced to him, just a recommendation of a friend. Yeah. And, and it's so cool that kind of happens in life because, you know, like you said, you know, I, I'm sure you remember back in the day. I mean, I was a rocker, heavy metal dude, just kind of, you know, bunch of hard rock t-shirts or whatever. But, but as you grow and kind of mature in, in music, so to speak, you really start to understand that there's a place for it all and it can touch your heart in different areas, depending on where you're at in, in life, what season you're in and that kind of good good thing and you know I don't really walk down one single path when it comes to music either at this point in time it's just uh you know whatever kind of works of course I don't really have control over too much music in the house with five kids and you know all that good stuff so um but there's one there's a a few lines that really stuck out to me in that song Mm -hmm. and those were I've been searching for a place where I might stand and I've been looking for that promised land and I've been shouting from this mountaintop, but the frequencies are jammed. I'm just searching for a place where I might stand when I'm asked about the situation of where it is I've been and where I'm bound. Well, I've got no home. You and I talked a little bit in email and and on the phone and everything else. And this really sort of, of course, has that kingdom kind of mentality to it. Uh, when you look at it from that stance, but it's also got this, it, it, at least in my mind, especially here in the States, I don't, you know, I'd like to hear about the Dominican Republic as well, but it's almost like we're so divided on so many different issues right now that there's no commonality. And so I think a lot of people right now are feeling lonely and just like they have no quote unquote home, so to speak, because if you don't meet somebody's expectations on every single narrative, it's almost like they don't even want to talk to you at this point. I mean, are you feeling that same way in some areas? Um, you know, I, I see the divisions everywhere. Um, I hear the condescending tones that everyone uses. Um, I, and the polarization and just the kind of the shouting at each other, um, the frequencies are jamming because people don't follow Jesus. Mm. Um, and even the people that claim the title is Jesus followers. You, you can look at the conservative. I've got extremely liberalish friends, friends on the left, friends on the right and social media, like yep. polars apart. And um, I expect my friends on the left to behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but my friends on the right that claim Jesus do not communicate like they follow Jesus. And I don't know, but it, I think it's because they don't quite understand uh, just kind of like a theology of kingdom that recognizes that we, we can't expect the space in which we live um, and you know, our current governing authorities, whatever, whatever um, shade they are, whatever flavor they are, to be producing the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's and, biblical. That's not, yeah, you know. And, and the space in which we live, mm-hmm. as it is, it's not going to continue to be this way at some point. Um, you know, just kind of like be upfront. My, my theology over the years has become deeply rooted in an assumption that Jesus established the kingdom and he will fulfill the kingdom. And we are living in between those spaces. It's mm, a good way to put it. And if it's true, I know, I know some Christians don't like to get into politics or they get offended if someone says, you know, Jesus was political uh, the, the, the offense behind that is because they're looking at Jesus and hearing that through our own political lens that we were raised up in the North American context. Right. But when Jesus claims to be king, that is a political statement. And the thing is, is the politics of Jesus transcend all other ways of being po- political and actually name them as practices that are less than. And so what does it mean to, to look at the world in which we find ourselves through that lens? of a kingdom that's established, but hasn't been fulfilled, which means I don't have expectations of certain uh, ways of governing or even understanding politics because I'm operating with a whole different set of politics Mm -hmm. that um, where there might be some overlap, 
but there also will be critique. And so there will be ways that I understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to live life in community that will be offensive to some conservative values, but will also be offensive to certain liberal values. Right. They, this kingdom, the constitution of the kingdom of God is the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Yeah, which, which I just did a post on for this coming week, and you're right there. I mean, uh, the, the song was Riding with the King by B.B. King. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great, great tune. And he lays it all out so eloquently right there on the Sermon on the Mount. So you're, you're yeah, spot that, on. You Hopton and B.B. King together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, and so when I hear all this noise and I see all this division, it's like, that's, you know, we're looking for a place to stand, but the frequencies are jammed. Like that message is not getting through. But there's something about, <laughs> so, so Cockrell is saying that in the song, but then what I hear to hear also is like, so he's on this journey. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have the place to stand. He's still looking for it. But what he does is, but I have a destination. Yep. Right. So he's got a clear vision that he's going somewhere and that he will know it when he sees it. Mm. So the very first set of lyrics, I've been searching for a country of my own. When I see her face, I know I'll finally be home. All right. And I don't think it's a face of a woman. I think this is metaphor here. Where he's like, when I see it, I'll know it. Because there's something in me. It just kind of I intuits, you know, I'll recognize it. All of a sudden, um, everything will become aligned. You know, there's a sense of loneliness and he's looking for a place where he won't feel alone anymore. And I think that loneliness is here for a lot of people. I see people that are so passionate because of the ideology ideologies that they're just clinging to. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that's again, almost like they can't let it go. You know, well, in the North American context, it's like if you're, if you're liberal or conservative, um, mildly to acute, <laughs> right. uh, both of these worlds are falling apart. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. You know, look what Trump is doing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Look what will happen if, you know, Biden wins the presidency. You know, these are just the loudest things that are out there right now. Or, you, sure. know, and, you know, you get into uh, the complexities of the racial issues that are being faced right now. We've got overlap with that in the Dominican Republic between Haitians and Dominicans. But uh, again, it's like these ideologies are so entrenched. Everything's falling apart. And people are afraid. They feel alone. And the question is, how do we have, as followers of Jesus, how do we have kind of the, the, the peace of mind and the presence uh, to be able to discern what the fears are and how to engage those fears in, com- in conversation and for people on both sides to help them understand maybe what else Jesus might be doing through all of this and how, like, how might we join him in that. So the context in which we live is a context of brokenness. Mm-hmm. That is multi-layered, multi-level. Everybody's got some kind of blood on their hands from somewhere. Sure. And the only way that gets resolved is through repentance and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the foundation. Uh, and so, you know, sticking with this kingdom language and like country of my own, searching for a country of my own, our own. One of the things I, I teach about in seminaries, talk about, all right, the context we find ourselves in broadly is the context of the culture of the broken world. Everyone, and then there's the culture of the kingdom of God. These are the only two political realities that exist on the globe. Mm -hmm. You have various expressions of the culture of brokenness. There's only one expression of the kingdom, and it transcends that one. And the thing is, is anyone that is a citizen of the kingdom, there's none of us here that didn't have some kind of immigrant status. Right. Because we had to make, so when we talk about uh, accepting Jesus as Lord, we're talking about salvation, it's, a, it's an identity change. It's a culture change. Um, it's a political change. Because at this point is when you choose, when you say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and I'm giving my life to him, um, you are committing treason against the culture of the broken world and all mm. of its political practices. Yeah. And you have to step out of that. And then what's happening then is what, what discipleship, well, let's just say what sanctification is, is a process then is a, uh, the pathway through which we become naturalized citizens of the kingdom, right? So in the Cold War era, which you and I grew up with, the tail end of that, yep. you know, people were defecting from Russia or the USSR, you know, Soviet Union. They were defecting from China and they come to the United States seeking asylum. And then they, you know, they want to become citizens. Like we want to become like you. We want to learn your history, your practices, your culture, your language. We want to celebrate what you celebrate, but we're rejecting the rest of this. 
right embracing a new identity and that's what it is to to name jesus lord and to make him king and then to become a citizen of that kingdom uh it means we adopt new political practices new ways of being you know the politics of the culture of the broken world are all of paul's vice lists right mm. from a biblical studies point of view so it's it's the sexual immorality regardless of whether it's hetero homosexual whatever uh it's broken sexuality and, and participating in that without reflection it's greed um, it's lying, it's murder, uh, all the things. Those are the political practices of the culture of the broken world where the prince of darkness is Lord. Mm. And when we reject that and we step into the kingdom of God, the political practices of God's people uh, are not who you vote for on election day. It's actually, it's, it's worship, mm-hmm. it's uh, prayer, it's enemy love, it's sacrificial generosity, it's service. It's all those things where people would look at us and say, oh, that's really different. Mm-hmm. How come you're not screaming at the top of your lungs on social media at everybody? How come you're having conversations where you're like, you know, how, how can you agree to disagree so well? Mm-hmm. How, you know, how can you still be friends with these people, whoever these people are? Because the way of Jesus, I mean, when we talk about political practices, it's really what, is our, what are the practices as we live together? where people would see that and say, oh, you must be a follower of Jesus. People of the way, which is right. what I, I like that title better than Christian. Well, I do too. I think that works really well. <laughs> so um, in Colossians 4, 2 and following, Paul gives these instructions to the church in uh, Colossae. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things about that. One is it's interesting because this kind of gets into kind of our understanding of evangelism in the West. We've always been taught, I don't know, I mean, you grew up in the church. I did too. Like we had evangelism training. Eventually learn how to proclaim to people that we may not know from Adam. Mm-hmm. And, um, and essentially it's like how to do a spiritual sales pitch in argument and try to convince somebody that they should follow Jesus with a verbal argument. And like, that's how we understood evangelism. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, that's, that's not my gig. Uh, yeah. you be in that position. I start armpits, get sweaty, stomach cramps. I need to go to the bathroom before we do it. <laughs> uh, it's unpleasant and it's probably unpleasant for the people I talk to. Right. And it's just not natural. Here's the thing, though. It's not that proclamation doesn't have a place in evangelism. It's part sure. of it for those who are gifted at it. Mm-hmm. And I know some people that are just naturally gifted communicators and, like, go to a restaurant and then 10 minutes in, they're talking to the server about the Lord, and it's not weird or awkward. Like, it just, like, right. nothing to happen. Right. And you yeah. can feel an upliftingness about it all instead yeah. of this conflict, you know. But it's not forced. Right. Right. So what Paul says here is, he says, pray for us that we may, that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I ought, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't turn around and say, and I will pray for you so that you can proclaim. He doesn't seem to have that expectation, but what he does essentially say is live in such a way amongst the Gentiles with a conversation that is always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. And, and, so, and, and, and the key there is with the Gentiles, not yeah. with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And so live in such a way that it raises questions. Right. Because if we are living according to the constitution of the kingdom of God, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, I'd also say Romans 12 is Paul's reworking of that. People are going to ask us questions. We are going to stand out. And this is what's happening in the song. When I'm asked about the situation. Yes, when I'm asked about the situation where it is I've been, where I'm bound, right? People mm-hmm. are asking me, what are you doing? Right. Why are you doing it that way? And it's, I've got no home, but I've got a destination. Mm. And so what's going to follow is, well, what's this destination? Well, it's the kingdom. And there's a sense in which I try to figure this out. I was thinking about it today. Um, that's really eloquent the way he put that. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I see that's what's happening. It's in his searching. Mm-hmm. He's demonstrating Something that is so mysterious and beautiful that people are like, what? What is that? Yeah. You've not, you know, you're not doing things traditionally or practically like we've all been taught. This is like a whole other way. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, well, you know, and it's like, but I'm not just wondering, right? All who wonder are not lost, right? He's, he's got a destination. And it's interesting. I don't, I don't know how he means this. And I've been wrestling with how to take it. I've been searching for a country of my own. I've been looking for a place that I'll never feel alone. Every day is met with new horizons. Um, city where you meet no strangers is a place you need no home. I'm just searching for a country of my own. All right. And so it sounds like then when he arrives at the city, he doesn't need a home because he's got no, because he doesn't know any strangers. Got you. Right. But he's also saying throughout the whole song, I've got no home, which makes me wonder, is he living in such a way where nobody around him is a stranger? Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, he, he's got a, a few different play on words there mm-hmm. that uh, work really, really well and, and may all apply, you know? And, uh, and so I don't know what he means by it, but that's what it's come to mean to me is like, what does it live? What does it look like to live in such a way where nobody's a stranger? Right. Because we can treat strangers poorly and we don't get upset with ourselves. Um, we can be afraid of everybody because they're strangers. But if we, if we, if we look if we pursue relationship with kind of an open-handedness with a desire to serve and to love, you know, uh, we've been walking through um, a study online, of course, um, on Philippians and uh, in Philippians two, man, when Paul's like, let your mindset be the same as Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And before he says that, he's like, look at other, don't just look after your own needs, but also look after the needs of others. Now he doesn't say, don't look after your needs. He says, just don't look after your own. Right look after the needs of others. And then he qualifies. He said, considering them is superior to yourself or more important than yourself. And then he connects that with, let your mindset be the same as Christ Jesus. Mm. All right. That is the political practice as we journey towards that country. Right. It's and really good. Towards that kingdom. And, uh, and, and it connects to just in first Peter is like your, your resident aliens. Right. And so you, don't be so committed to this place that you're not committed to the King anymore. Mm. Right. And um, so anyway, that's. Well, and, 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 uh, you know, when you were going back a little bit with the political landscape (laughs) of things, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it Paul that Nero had come in and like burned the place down Mm -hmm. and he's still like pray for him. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah. Well, you know, and (laughs) this can get sticky depending on the religious tradition that people come, come in and out of. Sure. But, sure. Uh, everyone likes to quote Romans 13, submit yourselves to the governing authorities when their guy is in office or they're right. 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 And so, you know, they'll kind of scream that at everybody else is like, you know, poo poo and the whole thing. And it's like, right. no, or, submit and, and, and everybody, like you said, everybody follows it when, <laughs> when it's good for them. And then yeah, when it's yeah. not, you know, but we should not, separate the reading of Romans 13 from Romans 12. It's one letter that all goes together. Yeah. Um, so at the end of Romans 12, Paul has just said, don't overcome your, your enemies with evil, but overcome your enemies with good. Mm. Right. And in doing this, you'll pour heaping coals on their heads, which is not like a Christian way to get revenge. Right. You know, it's like those, those burning coals were symbolic of purification. Mm-hmm. And so in, by refusing to return evil for evil, by returning good for evil, love for hate, at some point it has to click in somebody's mind or we hope that it will. They're like, why? Again, right. raises the question. And, uh, and then and you respond to love. Well, Paul goes on to say almost immediately after and submit yourselves to the governing authorities. Well, who are some of these enemies? Who are some of these perpetrators of evil that we're supposed to respond to with love and compassion? Well, I mean, it's the governing authorities of Rome. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, even though they are abusing you, God has put them in place to establish some sort of order and submit to that, still submit to that. Um, and, you know, if you live this kind of quiet life that he's recommending in Colossae, it's like you shouldn't have that much trouble. Right. It will actually end up being a demonstration of the kingdom that people will find it hard to argue with. Right. And, well, and, and you even find, you know, Roman soldiers taking note and things of that nature, um, you know, all throughout it. So the yeah. people that, I have a hard time sometimes when I'm, when people are, they point to the word and like, well, but this was during that time. No, 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 no. It applies just as well today as it did then. And, um, you know, the practices, culture, all that good stuff has shifted over time, but yet it stayed the same. 
it's just a different vessel in a different boat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but God's church is still growing. And, um, and when I, our working definition of the church at the seminary is uh, before it is an institutionalized expression, it's first and foremost, the global redemptive presence of God's people mm. everywhere. All right. Cause again, like that's the allegiance. When we name Jesus Lord, it connects us to a global people mm-hmm. under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, which means there are ways in which our nationality and ethnicity might still try to make claims on us to keep us divided from others. And we've got to renounce that, Mm -hmm. which also means that sometimes the American we cannot be the Christian us. Right. And we've got to learn how to discern that and um, discern when we need to have a prophetic voice and speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. And um, because that's not the kingdom we're participating in searching for the country of our own. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this off camera, but it really kind of ties in nicely when it comes to even talking about genres of music and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, the whole secular versus non-secular and Christian and, and all that kind of thing. And it's like, you know, I'm going to let you go on it because you were, you were talking some really good, um, you know, parameters when it comes to that, but it just makes no sense to me to act that way. Yeah. You know, so there's a sense in which when we talk about kingdom, we've made it good guys and bad guys. Mm. And, um, you know, and if we all start in the culture of the broken world, all of our expressions of the culture are broken. Mm-hmm. And what's happened, at least in the United States, is we try to establish some kind of Christian subculture instead of living out a counterculture that can engage the culture that needs transformation. And, um, and what we end up doing is picking out which elements we can mix, mix in and which elements we can't. Yeah, basically. yeah, but and then it really just ends up being um, crappy forgeries. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but the culture of the broken world, man, it's got its own stories. It's got its own language, languages. Mm-hmm. It's got its own context, and we all come out of that, and we're all shaped by that, malformed by that in different ways. Right. And the reality is, is when we transition into the kingdom, we've got to unlearn a lot of that. Um, but we also have to be able to go back in to offer the invitation of rescue and adoption to people. Um, and so, you know, this division between secular and, um, you know, Christian, it, it was never made for that. I mean, we just, we just read it in Colossians. He said, make, season every conversation with salt mm-hmm. and light. All right. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, is, the meat products from the culture of the broken world need salt. But what we've done here in the Christian community is we've made our own meat. Yeah. And then we put salt on that mm-hmm. and it's usually oversalted. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so whenever we talk about secular music versus Christian music, it's like secular music is just storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you have the conviction that, that effective kingdom work is the result of contextualization because that's also the way of Jesus. Um, and what I mean by that is that, um, so a lot of what I teach at the seminary is missional incarnational ministry. And that's kind of like the center of pra- practice. Um, what does it look like? Um, so we get the mission of Jesus from Matthew 28, go and make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey everything I command. I always like to point out, not just believe. Right. So practice is not divorced from belief. They go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything he commands is the constitution back in Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. That's the what of mission to go and make disciples. Now here's the problem. If we don't do that like Jesus, we can be very missional, mm-hmm. but don't look at all like Jesus. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, Kentucky Derby happens here. You're a global boy. You know about the Kentucky Derby. And if you ever go, there's always a group of super conservative Christians with megaphones and even you got their kids doing it, telling everybody they're going to hell and, blah, 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 because they're gone to hang out at a horse race, regardless of the I've been to the NCAA tournament a few times, and those same people show <laughs> okay. up too. So. Yeah, and I'm glad, they, I'm glad they're equal opportunity. Oh, folks. definitely, definitely. Uh, they're very missional. <laughs> right. And they claim to love Jesus, mm-hmm. but they don't look anything like him. Right. In their approach. Um, so that's the what of mission. You get, so, you get, so let's go down that road for a minute. Why do you think that happens? I think there's so much there to speculate. Uh, my opinion is um, part of it is people like we. If it's true that we live by faith, then we live by faith. We don't we don't live by certainty. Mm-hmm. And there's ways that they want to be certain. They want to be right, and they want it to be black and white. And you know, 
they're, they're telling pagans not to be pagans. And, um, you know, for those that, you know, are just kind of participating in all that goes with, you know, being in the infield during the Derby. Right. Right. It is a little Sodom and Gomorrah ish. <laughs> you know? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, maybe that's not entirely fair because Sodom and Gomorrah would mean that every, you know, the, the price of entry is getting raped and that's not quite right here. Uh, but the, um, defilement and debauchery of, of yes, run amok, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the hedonism, it's a, right. it's a celebration of hedonism. Sure. And, uh, the thing is, that's not what Paul's telling the church in Colossae to do, but it's there, man. It's rated R to rated X, walking sure. through the streets of Colossae and Ephesus and Philippi and, um, and Corinth. Sometimes it is in the church. Um, well, Corinth, even, even the red light district where Christ. <laughs> yeah, but there's this, you know, this desire to condemn people that aren't even following Jesus, and that's not the way in. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way Jesus uses, that's not the way Paul did it. And here's the... Well, there's a reason why I went down that road because, and this has been on 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 my my mind and my heart quite a bit lately. Of course, even with song and verse, I've gotten pushback, anonymous messages. Your ministry is demonic because you have secular music, you know, that you're speaking about in there. And of course, they don't even look at anything, don't even read anything. It's just a picture, and so they think it's horrible. But the reason I, I'm asking this is because there's a huge movement right now to tear apart pastors and especially pastors of bigger churches you know based on numerous reasons and i can't find you know any biblical reason i I, I guess the way to put it is there's so much infighting between christians quote unquote christians that it's like why would the world even want to embrace that and so i struggle i struggle with when people ask me that question, how to come about it, except for me to just say, look, this, you know, Christ is my barometer, not Christians. Here's the answer. Sorry. I don't feel, I don't often feel confident enough to say, here's the answer. You should, no, I just, okay. that, I'd love I to hear it. I'm, I'm, but, you know, here, here's the answer and try to connect all these ideas together. We've got to get back to the incarnational side of the missional side. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me say that. And then I'll, dovetail into the response to your question. Sure. So there's the missional side that can be divorced from the practices of Jesus. So that's where we take control and we try to force that sucker through. And it usually involves coercion. Mm-hmm. Um, fear tactics, fear tactic evangelism, first of all, is not evangelism. And second of all, it is coercive. And Jesus was not coercive. Mm-mm. He'd say, follow me or don't. Right. And sometimes he'd say, why are you following me? Maybe right. you shouldn't. All right. Um, so Jesus is non-coercive. The, the incarnational side, it's in John 17 and John 19 on both sides of the cross where Jesus gives us the key to the how of mission. All right, so Matthew 28 gives us the what, go and make mm-hmm. disciples that obey. Uh, John 17 and 20 are the how. Jesus says, Father, as you, this is his prayer, as you sent me, I will send them. And then after the resurrection, he says, as you have sent me, I am sending them. All right. And so the question we have to ask then in discernment is, well, and how does Jesus come? How did God send Jesus? And um, uh, Eugene Peterson uh, in the message is that Jesus, uh, that God moved into the neighborhood. Right. And so I like to say the God of the universe became a human being with dirt under his fingernails. And N.T. Wright says, uh, mud on his boots. Yeah. All right, to, to incarnate, to con- God contextualizes himself for the sake of creation mm-hmm. by becoming a human being to demonstrate to, for us how to be truly human and then to deal with our sin issues so we can start living into that, what N.T. Wright calls our, our true vocation, um, is just to be real human beings. And so we have to ask the question, well, then how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus deal with sinners? Who is Jesus hanging out with? Zacchaeus does not name Jesus Lord at the synagogue or the temple. It's in his own home. And when we think about who Zacchaeus is, you know, I think, um, again, I'm not recommending that people watch Game of Thrones. Uh, It is a great uh, uh, cultural expression of what the world looks like without Jesus. And uh, I think of Zacchaeus, I think of Tyrion. Yep. Um, Totally see that. Height and all. Yeah. Well, you know, and you think if he's been rejected by his own people, because some people say that uh, 
he, he may be a little man because it suffered from some kind of dwarfism mm-hmm. um, or because he was small in stature in terms of how he was perceived by the community because he was in league with Rome as a tax, a chief tax collector, which essentially made him a mob boss of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, either of those are in play. If it's the dwarfism though, he also then is um, physically uh, a representation of how he was cursed. And we know from the questions of Jesus' disciples, hey, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Uh, That kind of question that it was common in the Jewish worldview that if you had some physiological uh, challenge or disability, it was because you were probably cursed by God. Right. And so here's a guy who maybe grew up in a Jewish environment, um, cursed by the community, potentially, speculation. But why wouldn't he turn against his own people and become a tax collector? And who knows what all immorality went along with that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jesus is sitting at the table, you know, with Tyrion, you know, who drinks wine and knows things. And, um, and pays his debts. And pays his debts. And, uh, and he does. Zacchaeus does pay his debts. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and the thing is, it's like, it's like the transformation happens at his table. And the, the Jews have to be furious when they see him go in there. And we hear, like, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because the thing is, is, Jesus is in there drinking wine that was embezzled from us. Right. Right. He's benefiting from this guy's corruption. What the heck? Mm-hmm. But what happens is because Jesus leads with mercy and compassion and invites himself to Zacchaeus's house, um, who he knows was looking for. Mm-hmm. Again, because Jesus was living and serving in such a way that was raising questions. He was interesting. The transformations at his own table. So we have to go like Jesus and we have to go to the places that Jesus went. We can't go by ourselves. We always have to go together for the sake of accountability. So we don't get absorbed into the brokenness again. Sure. Right. And we have to go strategically. Uh, we have to be smart about it, but we have to figure out, okay, if this is a space in which I find myself, if, you know, if I'm an artist, um, if I'm a musician, uh, if I'm a lawyer, if I'm a realtor, uh, if I'm on a vet, instead of seeing this as this is my job and this is my ministry in a church building over here to say, no, it's all ministry. And if you've named Jesus Lord, you're a citizen and now you're an ambassador. So how do you make your vet look like the kingdom? Right. How do you make your neighborhood look like the kingdom? Where, where are things where the kingdom is out of, if the kingdom is now coming in to be fulfilled, but where is it out of alignment here at my table across the street? in the neighborhood, across the tracks, in that bad part of town. And then how do I, how has God gifted me to respond to some of those issues? And how do I team up with somebody else to do it in faith and see what God does? How do we pray about and discern what God is already up to and then figure out how to enter in? That is contextualized incarnational ministry. And that is doing the mission of Matthew 28 like Jesus. Now, why secular music? Why use this platform? This is demonic. Well, then Paul's demonic also. And so is his methodology. Right. And so let me read this from Acts 17, uh, 16, verses 16 and following. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up, and this is the part, all right? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that, that they would inhabit the whole world, whole earth. 
and he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we, this is the important part, for in him, it's all important, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Mm. All right. He does not quote scriptures to them. He contextualizes the message of the gospel, and he actually uses their own stories and storytellers, their own philosophers and thinkers, to speak the message of the gospel to them. So the first quote is, for in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, that is from the Cretan philosopher Epimenides. Sorry. And then uh, we are his offspring is a quote from the Sicilian, Sicilian Stoic philosopher Aratus. So he quotes two pagan philosopher poets back to them. And not only that, he starts with their own worldview, which he is offended by. Like it yeah. hurts his heart um, because he knows it's all brokenness. But he learns their story to tell them a different version of it. Mm. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. That's what you're doing with these secular songs. The, the music of the culture of the broken world is their stories and their understanding of their lives. And you can learn um, all the things that they are suffering, all the misguided desires that we have, all the expressions of brokenness because we are looking for the wrong places to stand. Well, in a good portion of them, also you see the crying out for their creator written in there with all that as well, yeah. you know? And, so when we were talking about Colossae, um, Go Ministries does a lot of that, correct? They really kind of work in that same type scenario that Paul was saying, hey, we'll go in, we'll be a part of your community and, you know, be part of who you are, not just come in and say, hey, this is how it's done, you know? Right. And so um, we train our local leaders in the seminary and church planting to not just go in with an assumed framework, right? Here's the, here's the formula for how to reach all people everywhere. And it's mm -hmm. the same formula. It's like, no, how do you go into your context? And how do you, how do you go in as a listener? Mm -hmm. And what we're listening for is where, where is God already at work so mm -hmm. that we can partner with them? What does the community say that it needs? And then how can we step into that together with them? Yeah. Demonstrating the kingdom alongside of them. So now that we've listened, how do we discern what it is that God's up to? Okay, this is what we think God is up to in this community, and here are the opportunities. Now we're going to test and experiment and take risk to see if this is what God is up to. And if he's up to it, there'll be fruit. If he's not up to it, there won't be fruit. And now mm -hmm. we go back, we reflect. Yeah. How did we go? And then we decide what's, what do we keep doing and what's next. Mm. It's not program-driven, it's people-driven. Yeah. It's driven by context, not assumption. And so what we'd have to do is we have to learn to, um, to interpret the context or, you know, to big, exegete the neighborhood. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, and then respond to that. So it's more organic. Uh, it's simple church models. These are, these are uh, house churches that may grow into communities of 50 or more. In some places, it'll be like the same 15 families. Mm -hmm. For a while, well, I mean, you just, it depends on the size of the neighborhood. Because the other thing is how the Dominican and Haitian context is different from the United States is that you don't commute to worship. If you can't walk there, you don't go because most people don't have transportation. Yeah. Uh, besides public transportation. And um, so. And so, and so do you kind of meet in different, different areas each week with, with in particular ones, or do you have your own home church or how does that work? Um, I'm. I participate in a more traditional church that is a part of our network that's been established for years. It's we call it the central church. It's actually uh, the family, the Dominican family that go ministries was kind of forged with. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the church they planted 30 years ago. Gotcha. And so out of this different leaders, congregants have been raised up and sent out to plant churches in other communities. And, um, and now that's kind of happening everywhere all at once. And so what we've done through seminary and church planting is help create a structure where there's accountability, there's uh, solid training. So we're not re reproducing poor expressions of the church. They're more faithful expressions of the church. Uh, we have regular church planting assessments a few times a year where we bring people through and based on family life, spiritual life, and you know, just 
maturity, you know, it's red light, green light, or red light, yellow light, or green light. Mm -hmm. Like, are we ready to get started planning a church? And um, so we're really, as far as I go, in a really healthy phase right now where there's lots of good ministry happening. And we've had, uh, I just saw today, we've had 69 baptisms across our networks of churches during COVID-19. And that is where people are still either gathering online um, or having small distance gatherings and um, or people are responding online and then the, the leaders are getting together with those people and baptizing them to where, you know, it's not people are on top of each other. Right. Uh, it's really interesting time for all of us, but what we're experiencing is growth in ministry, not, um, it's not waning. Yeah. No stagnation. Cool. So there's ways in which as much suffering that's coming with this current time, it's also become an opportunity and um, we're just see where God takes it. Well, and, and I think we're seeing some reports in the States of the same thing. It's just not being heavily reported on by the mainstream. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling personally as if there is a resurgence going on in the church. Um, but that's pretty cyclical in nature when something like this is going on, I think. Um, uh, but, uh, but no, that's, that's really cool. And so, and so we're going to have all the ways that people can get involved. Um, are, is there any one particular site or social media or anything that nature that Go Ministries does that they can keep an eye on or follow? Yeah, um, I'd encourage you to uh, go to our Go Church Planting page on Facebook and like it. That's where most of our updates come through. Our webpage is, overall for Go is currently under reconstruction. So I don't want to point you there yet because it's not quite ready. Sure. Um, but following, following Go Church Planting on Facebook, and I can, uh, I can send you the link for that. Great. That's awesome. awesome. Well, I mean, this has been a great conversation, Jeff. I'm, I'm really, really excited about the things going on. And, you know, it's not stuff that we hear about very, very often. You know, from, from my own, um, you know, personal bubble, so to speak, we have our own missionaries that go out from our own church. And we hear, you know, reports and stories based off of those things that we fund um, in our own personal church, but you don't hear, you know, stories every single day about uh, what's going on. And so it's great to hear, um, you know, stories like about Go Ministries that's actually going out there and, and, you know, feet on the ground, so to speak. So. Yeah, man. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. Um, I love to talk about this stuff. The, the kind of the missional incarnational vein is kind of how I see things in terms of practical ministry and being able to do this with music and a song that I love has been a huge blessing for me. Um, I thank you for the opportunity. And uh, Definitely. And, and I think you've brought a very, very uh, good light to this as far as how to see it. And, you know, um, I'll have to go back and look at the, the scripture again, but was it Acts that you were pointing to where, where, oh. um, where Paul was, was using philosophers, so to speak. And yeah, Acts, Acts 17. Acts he, 17. Yep. He's with a group of people. And actually the idea now I've, I've since heard a teaching on this where the Areopagus, it wasn't like a bunch of like hippie philosophers that wanted just to hear from him. Uh, these are actually apparently leaders in Athens and to be called to the Areopagus was kind of a big deal because you could also be in trouble. So yeah. way, Paul was also, there were certain things at stake for him if they received it poorly. And, and the reaction was some people afterwards, I didn't finish that passage, but afterwards um, in, in the completion of that passage, there's some that just kind of think he's nuts. And there's others that are like, huh, I want to hear more. I want to hear more about this. Right. Now, but the thing to remember is that Paul uses their own expressions of culture to communicate the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, turn in your Bible to Genesis 1. Right. Uh, he paraphrases all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, we tend to think, we've been taught to think in, in the Western church that if we're going to evangelize people, that, you know, we've got to, you know, hit them with the Bible. We've got to give them the Bible first, and then we have to help them. If they don't recognize that authority, you can't start there. Which they're not. Yeah. And so you got to start with their own story and then, and, and then engage them that way and then be able to talk about where it fits and where it doesn't. And Paul yeah. does that too. He's like, Hey, I still saw all these guys, but here's the one that you don't know I, that I do. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's what's going on with that. All right. So there's, there's some critique in there, but it's not condescension. Right. 
and, but, but he uses the raw uh, materials of their own culture to articulate the gospel. And so when we look at music and quote unquote secular music, it's just a raw material. It's a language. We need to learn the language. Right. If, we, if we come at people that, that don't understand the Bible, don't believe it's authority, and don't find ways to, to enter into their own cultural context and their own language. It's like me trying to teach in the Dominican in English when everybody just knows Spanish. Mm-hmm. We're not really going to get anywhere, and there's going to be lots of opportunity for misunderstanding. Well, and, and that's a good way to put it, and you brought that up earlier too, that you know it's just a language. Um, it, it's just a language, and, and you know some of it's insensitive, some of it's ugly, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's the language that they speak and we've got to understand it. We don't, you know, we can use synonyms. We don't have to repeat it back to them. Right. But we can, we can understand it. And, um, you know, and, and for people that are offended by some of that stuff, uh, you know, I think it comes from a false understanding of purity and personal holiness because mm-hmm. I don't have holiness. That's my own. The only holiness I have is what's been given to me, but through Jesus. Right. That doesn't mean I just go and, you know, live recklessly and do whatever I want. Sure. But, but it does mean that there are certain things that um, you can get your hands on a certain way and they, they, you get your hands dirty, but it doesn't stain you. Right. Well, and, and at the, the same goes for righteousness. And, you know, I'm righteous for his sake, not my own. And, um, you know, and I think, I think there's a certain amount of humanity that, that once you grab on to, I'm going to just, I'm going to just use the word religion and not even put anything in there. But, you know, they draw, righteousness off of religion and not actually off the man that brought it, you know? And, um, and so I think that's really kind of where, you know, the narrative gets lost and, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle at times, but I, I, you know, we constantly have to come back to my eyes are on Christ, not on humanity and not on those that call upon Christ, but on him, you know? Um, so but man, I, I, I kind of want, you know, at least once or twice a year to kind of hook up and hear about, you know, some stories and keep you in the loop as, as somebody that we can, uh, uh, you know, pull on board and kind of throw some praise up every now and then when you guys have had some breakthrough or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just curious. Like, so how, how long are you all uh, state bound? When are you supposed to go back? It is all up in the air right now. Um, Hospitals are overrun in the Dominican as of right now. With uh, COVID or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much so that they're not treating patients medically with other issues. Um, All the, all the ventilators have people on them. There's only like 340, 350 critical care beds in the country. Oh gosh. Um, How big is the Dominican? What's the population there? uh, About nine to 10 million Dominicans, but they probably add another 1.5 1.5 to 2.5 million Haitians. Wow. And, um, but the hospitals are overrun. They have patients sitting in the hallways on oxygen. Uh, it's, it's in a really rough spot right now as it just burns you. So what they've done is uh, at all the pharmacies, they put together self-care medications. If you do have COVID for you to treat yourself at home and good luck to you. Wow. And uh, because, um, you know, my, I've got three daughters. My one is the youngest is ten. Uh, the oldest two are fifteen, and they are um, they were two and a half months premature. And uh, we seen both of our daughters on the vent the first four and six days of their lives, and almost lost them a couple of times during that two and a half months stay in the NICU. So we had uh, contacted a NICU doctor, a friend of ours who's been to the Dominican. And uh, we were just like, hey, what, you know, the girls were diagnosed as mild chronic lungers when we left. What do you think we should be considering here in the Dominican? And she's like, I, she goes, if I were you, uh, I'd, I'd come back to the States until this thing kind of blows over. And so none of us knows what blow over means. So we're right. kind of here definitely. Um, the seminary that I, I co-lead, we're launching it online, like so many others. Uh, it's kind of how we were forced to wrap up the last semester. And so uh, we're, we're launching online and we, we may have upwards of like 300, 330 students that we'll be servicing via the web in terms Jeez. of content. Yeah. Um, so we're still pulling all that together. We're going to start in the next week or so, we hope, 
the other thing that's going on in the Dominican right now is that the um, um, previous presidential administration got elected out of office and there's a new a group coming in on the 16th. And rumors are floating around out there that they may actually shut down the country for a two-week mandatory 24-hour curfew shelter in place, um, which means you don't go anywhere, you stay in your house, you don't go out in the streets. Well, who, like who would take care of getting necessities and stuff then? Well, it's like, it's probably like you got two days to get that. Oh. And some people are, the people that can are getting those things right now. But again, it's unknown. People don't know. And so that'll affect whether or not we're able to start in the next week or so like we want. Um, but also then, you know, we're not going back in that context. And um, so just pray Pray for the people of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. They do not have the resources to deal with this. And it's, um, it's going to be this way for a while until the COVID stuff burns through the whole population, I'm afraid. Yeah. And so we're, we've got to take it really month by month right now. And that's, that's what we're doing, but we're still busy. We're still, you know, all of my work looks like this in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, and then connecting with people and, and fundraising while we're stateside for those that are, you know, in the space to, to do that. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's the answer to your questions. We don't know. Yeah, definitely. But everybody's ready to get back, but it's just not safe to do so yet. We focus on apprenticeship and multiplication and so in team leadership. And so I have a Dominican counterpart that I co-lead with and uh, we just kind of submit to each other as we kind of work through uh, you know, discerning what, what are the best steps forward for the seminary and working through that. Um, but I don't, I don't do anything without his permission and he doesn't do anything without mine. We, but, but it's so cool to see it like that. I mean, that's exactly how, you know, that's, that's perfect. Um, but you know, with, uh, and, and then for go ministries, um, it's, it's a large organization. Uh, we actually have several different areas of ministry. Uh, we have, um, we have sports outreach to, uh, at risk youth. We, basketball, soccer, volleyball, um, baseball. Uh, we have a medical center. Uh, it's about a $1.2 million project that we completed about two years ago uh, where we're able to provide basic health care to um, kind of the poorest of the poor mm -hmm. to give them access to, to basic medical care. Uh, we have uh, the seminary and the church planting, which again are in, in tandem. Seminaries under the umbrella of the church planting where we are raising up local leaders uh, to um, kind of have this vision of the gospel that is uh, leads with the kingdom of God and includes personal salvation, right? It's a, it's a kingdom driven theology. And because uh, the, the gospel that Jesus is preaching is not, I've come to die for your sins. It's that the kingdom of God has come near and right. that God is becoming king. And I'm going to die for your sins so you can become a citizen of this kingdom. Mm. So that's the direction of it. And, um, and so we, we do ministry by demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like in the community um, to the least of these and to the people that have been, you know, cast out by the traditional church here in the Dominican. Um, and then uh, we, have a, we have a private school for pre-K to eighth grade, um, provides Christian education for under-resourced kids in our community and surrounding neighborhoods. And um, so that's kind of the push of go overall. And then, but my area is specifically within the seminary piece. Really appreciate um, prayers for the startup for this fall semester. We, this will be our first startup like this. We've never done it like this before. So, mm -hmm. and it's kind of our only option. You know? I mean, we got some wiggle room within the framework, but uh, it's all brand new. So it's all experimental. Uh, if uh, any of the, the viewers or listeners out there are interested in supporting our work directly, um, you could do so online by going to www.gomen dot org backslash rogers that's www.gomin.org slash r-o-g-e-r-s um, that uh, financial support would go towards supporting us and our efforts with the seminary and church planting uh, we raise a hundred percent of everything we do for paycheck for ministry so anything and everything helps awesome awesome and we'll we'll be listing all that down in the description area there too, for all you guys to uh, refer back to. So be sure to check all that out for Jeff and we'll have the social media links he talked about in, in the description area as well. So keep an eye on all that. Uh, but it's been great having you, Jeff. Um, 
This is Rockin' Odd Todd signing out for this episode. And Jeff, any last words? Man, blessings. Keep searching for that country. (laughs) Sounds great, man. You all take care. Appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Song of Verse podcast. Hopefully it was an uplifting, honest, and meaningful experience for you. We do accept donations. If you feel led to give to the Song and Verse Ministries, check out songandverseministries.com slash donate for a number of different ways to give back. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. We hope you tune into the next episode of the Song and Verse podcast. Until then, keep searching for the DNA of God's Word found flowing through song. <laughs>